Hello, friends. I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. Because of the revenue from the ads, I have been able to get $10 from your listening to my show. I do this as a hobby. I love it. I love having interesting conversations, as you know. And I just want to thank you for listening. And uh, with the money from the ad revenue, I can rent some more movies or help some of my guests rent movies so we can continue to have interesting conversations. I also want to thank my dear friend who is allowing me to use their Netflix account. You know who you are, and I'm very thankful for that. And I want to thank my Patreon. Thank you, Dad, for always supporting me. I love you. And now, on with the show. You're listening to The Patchwork Girl and Friends. I'm Kendra, and I love having interesting conversations with my friends about art, media, life, the universe, and everything. And that is what this podcast is all about. Welcome back, Bethany. You know I love having you on the podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad to be... Oops, sorry. Something fell over. (laughs) Uh, thank you. I'm so glad to be back. Now, I believe I introduced you to the movie we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, definitely. And if I remember correctly, this was the first movie you ever recommended to me, I think. Really? And you trusted me after this? <laughs> <laughs> I trusted you more after this. Because I rarely enjoy movies as much as the people who recommend them do. And I definitely enjoyed. I, I don't know how much you enjoy it, but I think I enjoy it as much as you do. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good sign. So we are talking about Lars and the Real Girl today, partly because the last movie Beth interviewed was "Pretend You Love Me" by Joel Havar on YouTube, and we both found some similarities to Lars and the Real Girl, and so now we're doing this do we want to talk at all about the similarities between this and pretend you love me yeah we should explain what this movie is about for those who have not seen it okay um i can give a brief synopsis so it's about a small town community and the main character is named lars he lives in The garage, uh, it's a finished garage that's like a living quarters, basically. Um, And then his brother and sister-in-law live in the house that used to belong to their father. And he's passed away at this point. Um, His, Lars and, uh, Lars's mother has passed away a long time, a long time ago as well. And Lars is a very quiet man. He doesn't really like interacting with other people. Um... People in the town are nice, but he just doesn't really want to talk to anybody. And he finds out about a website that sells um, sex dolls. (laughs) And his friend is recommending it for their usual use. But Lars orders one and suddenly has a delusion that it's a real person. He kind of brings the whole town along for the ride to... They all kind of treat her like she's a real person because he's working through some emotional trauma that he's been dealing with his whole life and having trouble connecting with people. And so the whole town kind of rallies around him to help him work through things and and show him that they care about him. That was a great synopsis. And I just want to say right now, every time I recommend this movie, I say, you have to watch the first like 10 minutes before you decide whether you like it or not. Because, yes, the premise is about a guy who buys a sex doll. But it's it's not about that. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, the first time he introduces her to his brother and sister-in-law, he's asking if she can stay at their house because she's religious and doesn't want to stay alone with him. So it is not that kind of movie it is a very (laughs) different kind of movie and I always have to tell people like 
don't read the description on Netflix or anything or you'll get the wrong idea about what this movie is about. Yeah. I remember when you recommended it to me, you said, just watch it and don't read about it first. (laughs) (laughs) So I did and I watched it with my mom just in case. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true because I I think if people read the description, they might think it's like a The Hangover type Mm -hmm. of thing or, you know, I can't think of any of those movies, any other movies like that where, you know, it takes this idea and it just makes this kind of raunchy comedy about it and it could have gone that direction and I'm really glad it it went in just an entirely different direction. (laughs) It is very sweet. I love this movie so, so much and you're going to hear all about why I love it and how much I love it, but I I do want to put it out there. Just watch it first before you make judgments based off the premise. And really... Don't worry, there's not anything shown or, you know, it's not even really a topic in the movie that she's a sex doll, primarily. It's vaguely mentioned a couple of times. So really don't worry that there's going to be some scenes you're going to have to fast forward or anything. There really aren't any. And I'm a fast forwarder. (laughs) (laughs) I think... The Joel Haver movie, Pretend to Love Me, reminded me of Lars and the Real Girl, in part because of how awkward he, uh, Joel Haver is in his movie, Pretend You Love Me. And it reminded me of how awkward Lars is. He's, he's so shy and introverted. One of the reasons I liked the Pretend You Love Me movie is I I said it really captured some of the awkwardness of real life. And even though Lars and the Real Girl is a scripted movie, the dialogue is really natural and definitely captures a lot of the awkwardness and the uh, rough edges of normal talking. Every time I watch this movie... (laughs) because I analyze movies and stuff, something that really impresses me is how natural and lifelike the dialogue is. It doesn't seem scripted. There's one character, Lars' brother, he rarely finishes his sentences. And I think that's kind of a rare thing to find in a movie because most movies are scripted in such a way that Every piece of dialogue, you know, needs to be there. And it's, I don't know if it was a choice by the actor or the director or the screenwriter. I don't know how it happened. But just the the way people talk to each other in Lars and the Real Girl feels very realistic. Yeah, I definitely agree. I didn't notice that Gus, um, Lars's brother, didn't finish his sentences a lot of the time. No. Now I want to rewatch it again. <laughs> I know I noticed one time that was very obvious when he was trying to thank someone and it was kind of an emotional discussion that they were having. So he couldn't quite finish what he was saying, he got distracted by someone else calling him. And then, you know, he didn't really finish saying thank you or why he was saying thank you. But yeah, I didn't notice that he didn't finish his sentences. That's really interesting. Yeah. Everyone in that movie has pretty interesting Yeah, ways of speaking. And and his is the most distinct. I think it's really interesting that there are different types of dialogue in films. Because like you were saying, most films have almost a poetic way of speaking. And it's Mm -hmm. very informative. (laughs) You see the way that people feel through the words that they're saying, even if they aren't saying exactly what they're feeling. And the people's responses are very timed. You know, so it's not at all like a normal conversation. You just have this person says something and then this person says something. It's kind of a back and forth. But there are some uh, screenwriters who really like their dialogue to be more natural and even have people talking at the same time or, you know, not finishing their sentences like you mentioned in this movie. I think that's really interesting that people can kind of use different ways of talking to give different feelings in the movie and kind of keep with the theme because some movies really need to be more formal 
mm-hmm. to work with the theme that they have. This one worked super well with just natural dialogue. And it would have seemed really weird, <laughs> I, th- I think, if people were talking in a normal scripted way. That's one of the things I find similar between Lars and the Real Girl and Pretend You Love Me. And the other one is the whole premise of kind of creating a romantic relationship. So in Pretend You Love Me, Joel Haver basically creates the illusion of having a romantic relationship by making a movie with an actress or actresses. And in Lars and the Real Girl, he has this big doll that is his girlfriend (laughs) and so and he treats her like a real girlfriend like he he takes her out and on dates and talks to her and yeah what did you find similar between them I noticed a lot of the awkwardness like you said and the natural dialogue definitely um because Joel Haver in his films typically doesn't write a script. So it normally is an actual dialogue that's back and forth, which is still tricky when you're acting because you know there's a camera watching you. You know, I'm sure their minds were working really hard to do that. Um, I'm sorry, I got I got lost on another train of thought. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I was trying to decide um, if I like scripted natural dialogue better or if I like more ad lib kind of free form. And I don't know. I, I appreciate both of them. I think when you have non-scripted, it puts a lot of pressure on the actors and you don't necessarily get the dialogue out of it that you want. So it's a bit more kind of loose and out there when you're trying to make a project. Um, and then if you're writing natural dialogue, that puts a lot of pressure on the person who's writing the script to write something that actually you know, when people say it, it actually seems like something that someone would say. Mm-hmm. So I just have a lot of appreciation for people who do the both versions. <laughs> it's really <laughs> cool. And like you said, there were some similar themes in Pretend That You Love Me and then Lars and the Real Girl of someone who's going through hardship and trying to work through it somehow by making a fake connection with someone that they know isn't real, but they're trying to almost work through their problems by doing that. And in the hopes that if they can work through their problems a little bit, maybe they can actually make connections with people. Of course, Lars and the Real Girl is a lot more uplifting at the end than uh, Pretend That You Love Me. But Definitely. And I want to talk about that because I feel like Lars and the Real Girl is a really great representation of what church can be like because he shows up with this doll and his brother and sister-in-law freak out and they go to the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist says it's a delusion he's working through something and the best thing you can do is go, go along with it and they're like oh no 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 we can't everyone will laugh at him and and us and she says there you don't really have any options So the first thing they do is they go to their church and there's a discussion in between them and some of the people in the church. And at first the people are like, I don't know. I don't think he can bring her to church. Like, is he going to bring her to church? And this isn't right. And And then they look at the pastor and this is my favorite line in the movie. (laughs) They're like, well, pastor, what do you think? And he says, well, we must remember, as always, what would Jesus do? And in the next scene, Lars and Bianca is the name of his quote-unquote girlfriend. Lars and Bianca are sitting in church singing songs. And the church people are the ones that really start reaching out to him. And by the end of the movie, he has connections with people all over the town And it started in the church. And I think that's so beautiful. And I've never seen a movie portray church like that. And that it was still realistic, too, because sometimes movies portray churches in a very, very good light, which is great. I mean, some uh, people react in a good way. But when um, Gus and 
Oh, what's his wife's name? Margo? Karen. No. Karen. Mar- Margo's the, the other girl. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get to her. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Gus and Karen are going to the church to ask if they can please allow Lars to bring um, his girlfriend to church. You know, people don't react well at first, and mm-hmm. it's hard for them to get over, but they make the right choice eventually. And I think that's that's a big deal to show that whole process. That's not like they were just all gung-ho about it. And, you know, because it's not easy to make the right choice sometimes. It's not easy to welcome people who are really different than you and that you have to make accommodations for, really go out of your way to make them feel welcome. And especially in a situation like that, which is going to be very uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and that's why I love it so much, because I feel like, I mean, that's an outrageous situation, but the same feeling is, I think, very relevant to a lot of the quote-unquote issues that churches face of how do we deal with various people in the church who have various problems? (laughs) Because the church is full of people with messy, messy problems, and some of them are uncomfortable to think about or deal with and how will people you know people stare or people talk behind other people's backs but the what we're called to do is love people Mm -hmm. and that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately that despite my best efforts (laughs) there are certain things that I look down upon more than others which I know is not the right way to act it's that's my mind just <laughs> thinks that the things that I do aren't as bad as things that other people do, you know? So it's really nice to have reminders of that really everybody is dealing with things and it's too much for them to handle. And even if I'm not, I don't understand the things that other people are going through. And like you said, if I, I don't agree with them or, you know, no matter what it is, I, it's, I'm still called to love them. So that it's okay that everybody has things that they're struggling with. And I really liked, there's a character named Mrs. Gruner, and she's one of the people in the church who um, just jumps in wholeheartedly. She says, you know, everybody has something weird going on in their lives. You know, there's some of us, their nephew donated a bunch of money to a UFO fund or this other person puts dresses on their cat or whatever. <laughs> you know, we all have these weird things that we do, or we know people that do really weird things, that we, even if we don't agree with them. So we can't act like we're different than the people that we disagree with, <laughs> you know? And she just wholeheartedly, she, she jumps in when Lars brings Bianca to church and she gives her flowers and says that she's happy that they, that they came. And I think that her enthusiasm really helped other people too, put forth more effort too. I tend to get kind of frustrated with people who are really vocal about their opinions, <laughs> like Mrs. Gruner was, but I appreciate people that do that too, because, you know, I'm, I'm not comfortable saying how I feel about things a lot of the time. And sometimes there needs to be someone to just jump in and say, Hey, this is what we need to do. Let's just do it. And they get everybody kind of on the same page. So I I appreciate that about those types of people too. I think it would be interesting to talk about the, some mental health themes in the movie Mm -hmm. as well. You know, when Lars he so he buys Bianca. <laughs> That's a weird thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes up to his um, brother's house, and he's really excited, um, which is unusual because Lars has been pretty closed off from everybody, even his brother and sister-in-law. They've been trying to invite him over for meals and you know make sure he's okay, but he's been pretty closed off. And then he comes up to their door, and he's so excited. He says he has a girlfriend, and he wants to introduce her to them and asks, like you said, if, if she can stay in their house instead of with him. And then the next scene is them looking very confused. (laughs) And then you see Bianca is there. (laughs) She's a doll. (laughs) 
Um, so I just think it would be fun to talk about some of the reactions that people had to Lars and I think particularly Gus's reaction because he had a really a lot of different reactions throughout the movie. The more I see this movie, the more I like how Gus, Lars's brother, is written. They both grew up in trauma. Their mother died when Lars was born, and it, you get the idea that their father just retreated into himself and was very depressed. So you have these two brothers, and they've reacted in very different ways. So Gus left home as soon as he could he got married and then he went back but he's trying to just carry on and try to be as normal and as functional as possible but not really thinking about it or dealing with any of the problems and Lars is in this weird place of almost being like their dad of withdrawing into himself but obviously there's much more going on with Lars and I really like how Gus goes through a process of like all all of the grieving and stuff of he's he's angry he's in denial he just wants everything to go away he just wants Lars to be fixed and then he starts really digging into the hard things and he starts researching about Lars's condition and then he starts taking responsibility a little bit for his own role in Lars's life where he acknowledges he was scared and didn't know how to deal with things so he kind of ran away. Yeah and Gus and Lars have a really great discussion because of all this too. Oh let's talk about that discussion because I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. I think Gus had always sort of felt bad that he left and he felt like he left Lars in a really bad place since, you know, their father wasn't really emotionally there for them. And when he starts coming to terms with the fact that Lars is really having a, a really hard time and he's having this delusion that a doll is real, he's he talks to his wife and says, I, I really feel like it's my fault because I shouldn't have left. And I'm so glad he didn't just stay in that spot when Lars comes down to the basement and Gus is doing laundry. Lars starts talking to him about what it means to be a man and Gus doesn't know how to talk about that. But he's, he starts to open up a little bit more and a little more and talk about, you know, how he has tried to be the man in his family. And that leads to both of them being more open to talk about the fact that Lars was kind of left and, and Gus felt bad about it and he apologized. He said, I, I shouldn't have done that. And I'm really sorry for the impact that it's had on your life. And Lars forgave him. He said, yeah, that it's okay. And I think that's really important to have discussions like that because they could both feel open about the way that they felt about the situation and discuss it with each other there was that apology and then the forgiveness there and then they could move on where previously they just kind of were left thinking about it a lot or not really thinking about it but just having that in the back of their minds of this is something that happened in the past and then they never knew what the other person thought about it but since they brought it to light they talked about it and um, resolved it now they can move forward and you know they might have to have more discussions in the future but it's a really great starting place. And I love so much that they're discussing what it is to be a man while Gus does housework for his pregnant wife. Oh, yeah. I love that so much. Of He's like chopping things in the kitchen and Lars asks, like, how did you know you were a man? And you hear the laundry is done so there's this ding and Gus is like hold that thought and you get the idea he wants to escape the conversation mm -hmm. so then he goes down and he's folding laundry and trying to work through how to tell his little brother about what it's like to be a man and but to me he's he's doing it to my um my dad does some housework and I I really admire that about my dad because I think it's a very self-sacrificing kind of thing to 
what is it in the five loves it's like acts of service and I think that's a really sweet way to show love Mm -hmm. in my mind it's very manly like there's nothing more manly than like vacuuming and doing the dishes in my mind (laughs) yeah (laughs) I was gonna say especially without a shirt on but I think (laughs) it's not quite the way you were going with it you know because there has been a stereotype for a while that women do certain work around the house and men do other kinds of work. When you love someone, you don't just do the things that everyone else expects you to do. You do things that help the person that you love. So even if it's something you don't really want to do, they know you love them because you're willing to do that. That's really mature. And now it's time for random recommendations my recommendation this is going to be another life recommendation that i got the idea from this movie actually there's one part of the movie that we haven't discussed yet (laughs) um, where something kind of tragic happens and the older women in the church bring casseroles over to the affected family's house and they just sit with them I was just really struck by that because that's something that I've noticed people of that age do naturally. You know, something happens to bring food and just sit with people. And I'd like to kind of bring that back into society a little bit more of, you know, somebody somebody's going through a hard time. You don't necessarily have to talk to them about it. Although if they want to talk, that's great. But everybody needs food. (laughs) And sometimes when people are going through really hard times, they don't have the ability to make their own food. So that's just a way to show that you care care for them, even if it's not that good. (laughs) They still appreciate the gift. And just sitting with them even more importantly, you know, not necessarily talking, but just sitting with them and being comfortable with the fact that they're not feeling great. Oh, I love that. I also really like the development of the relationship between Lars and the doctor Mm. that he goes to. Although he, Gus and Karen take Lars and Bianca to the doctor under the guise of Bianca has come here from another country supposedly, so she should probably get checked out. But they really want him to go there because they don't know what to do that he's having these delusions and they need some help and guidance. So they go to the doctor and she says that Bianca has low blood pressure and needs to get treatments, I believe once a week. So then that means Lars needs to take Bianca into the doctor once a week. And while he's there, um, the doctor sort of gives space and time for him to talk about things and the ways that he's feeling and kind of mm, just make a connection with her. So she can, partly so she can find out what's going on and partly just to give him someone to talk to since he doesn't feel like he has anyone to talk to. What are your thoughts about that whole relationship? Oh, I love it. I feel like therapists are really misrepresented in movies a lot and that they're either cold and calculating or strange. And (laughs) I feel like Dr. Dagmar in Lars and the Real Girl is such a an ideal of what you want in a therapist. <laughs> Someone who's, yeah, like what you said, just gives space. Because I was analyzing the dialogue because I love the dialogue so much. This time when I watched it, I noticed she never makes statements about Lars and Bianca. She always leaves it open. There's always questions. He's guiding everything. And she'll just set up these little scenarios to lead him into talking about something, but without really saying it. She, it's so cool to watch. I really love watching how she helps him. I've been to counseling before, and I was always hesitant to go for a long time, even though I really should have gone. (laughs) Um, Because I thought counselors and therapists had an agenda 
Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I, I've been to several different ones and some of them do sort of have an agenda that they're trying to communicate something to you or um, maybe change something. But I had a really good one that did just like the doctor did in this movie. He didn't even come up with something that he wanted me to do on his own. He always would start the sessions asking me, you know, what is your goal for this? Because people usually have a goal when they're going to therapy. <laughs> um, he would always leave it on on me that I was guiding it. And if there was something that I wasn't comfortable with that I didn't want to do or I just didn't like for some reason, that that was okay and that I didn't have to be a certain way or feel like I had to become something. But it was more figuring out how to be a person <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess and be able to express myself and be you know be able to function a little bit better so I really appreciated that and I like that it was portrayed that way in this movie too hopefully if anyone needs to go to counseling that will encourage them that it's not it's not necessarily a, a scary thing although it could feel scary but they're not scary people and that can be really helpful too. Yeah, and I guess along this train of how a good therapist just kind of leaves things open and kind of guides you, the whole progression of the movie, it's so beautiful. I, In this way, I find it far superior to pretend you love me because I feel like the whole movie builds up to this really great healing for Mm -hmm. Lars because at the beginning Bianca is completely real and at first everyone is very like his brother basically tells him to his face no she's not real she's a doll why are you doing this and he just ignores that and just keeps pretending but as things continue he starts telling the therapists, like, sometimes she doesn't talk to me. Or it's, it's funny. It's sad, but it's funny. Uh, I, I like how, because the town gets involved, Bianca starts kind of taking on an actual life of her own because people will invite her to do things. She gets a, a job modeling things at the mall <laughs> and they they like she gets on the school board like it's, it's funny. <laughs> but I love that that happens because that makes Lars face some of the challenges that he would have with an actual relationship and he and Bianca start fighting because she has to go to this school board meeting and he doesn't want her to. And so then um, that woman, Mrs. Brunner, is is taking her to the school board gala or whatever and gives Lars this lecture about, you know, you can't expect her to be at your beck and call. She has a life of her own and that you need to respect her. I love that because it, it's it's bringing a real problem into his life that he probably didn't think about. And that normally <laughs> you wouldn't have with a doll. <laughs> <laughs> I think because of that, he also, he starts understanding what it would be like to actually have a relationship with a real person. And he starts telling the therapist that sometimes Bianca doesn't talk to him or he says he asked her to marry him and she said no. And now we're getting into major spoiler territory, so be warned. But in the end, Bianca dies. And the first time I watched this movie was just a roller coaster because Lars finds her sick. There's this hilarious... It's hilarious and sad all at the same time. 
they tell, you know, call 911. So then the next thing is like the ambulance comes and they've alerted, you know, someone has alerted the hospital that Bianca is coming and they, you know, they play it as though she's real and they rush her into the emergency room and they call the psychiatrist to come. And Lars is the one who said, who found her sick and he's the one who says she's dying because his brother and sister-in-law confront the therapist and say, why are you allowing this to happen? Like, what are you doing? And she says, it's not me. It's Lars. This is part of his process. And then Bianca dies and they have a funeral. And I, I can't believe I tear up every time there's a funeral scene for this doll. But it's, it's so beautiful because it's like he doesn't need her anymore. And with her death, he's then free to actually have a relationship with a real girl. Mm -hmm. I think that's another striking difference between Pretend That You Love Me and Lars and the Real Girl is the support system around the main characters. In Pretend That You Love Me, there's not really an apparent support system. I mean, Joel does have family and his mom seems like he's in she's involved in his life, at least in the movie. (laughs) That's a whole can of worms of what's real and what's fiction in that movie. But he doesn't, he doesn't really open up fully about the way that he feels. I don't think he talks about things that are going on in his life, but he doesn't necessarily talk about exactly how he feels, I suppose. It's a weird, it's weird because it's very vulnerable, but it's not quite, it's not enough to really make a connection with someone. And it's really, you have to do that with someone who already loves you, kind of, you know, somebody who's there for you. And that just doesn't really happen in that movie. But in Lars and the Real Girl, the whole town really loves Lars. And Karen tells him that, you know, everything that everybody's been doing for Bianca they've been doing for you because they care about you so much and you know this is something that you you care about you're clearly going through a hard time and I want you to just see that people really care about you and that really makes a difference I think just having that support system coupled with a good coping mechanism to help you be able to to get out and make connections with people and a willingness to have vulnerability. You kind of need all three. And so Bianca is the coping mechanism. (laughs) She enables Lars to have discussions that he wouldn't normally have. He goes to a party, which is out of character for him, Um, but he goes because he has her. And what's fascinating is there is something about Bianca that allows him to do these things. I'm thinking of the party scene And there's this moment when he's about to ring the doorbell and he just pauses for a really long time. Like he's hesitating. He's thinking about maybe not going. And then he looks at Bianca and goes, Oh, I know, I know I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. It's almost like it's, it's strange because she's there. It pushes him to do it. And if she wasn't there, he wouldn't do it. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Uh, Bianca, like, has this personality. Right. It's weird, but in some ways, by the end of the movie, you start, you as the audience, almost start thinking about her as being real, too. Mm -hmm. That makes me wonder. So, I only know my own self. (laughs) You know, there are just certain things that scare me that I don't really like to do. And I'm guessing that's kind of how it is for everybody. They have certain things that scare them, so they kind of avoid those situations. So what is your Bianca? (laughs) You have have something that you are trying to do that you really need to do, and you don't want to because you're scared. How do you do it anyway? Like, do you have a person that you go with or? Yeah, the buddy system really works, but... um... I will say I, I have a strange thought that has led me to some very interesting things. 
I, I guess I'm kind of afraid of having a boring life. Mm. So when I'm going to do something that scares me, uh, I kind of, that kind of comes in of like, well, if you don't do this, your life might be kind of boring. Like, what are you going to write your autobiography about or something? Mm. And that, that has actually pushed me to do some pretty crazy things and I don't regret any of them. Yeah. I really, I really enjoy having an interesting life, but I, I'm scared to do things, but I'm more scared of being boring. That may not necessarily yeah. be healthy. <laughs> I'm not saying that's necessarily a healthy coping mechanism. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, there's good and bad things about it. What is your Bianca? Alice. <laughs> She's my daughter. She's which you know that I'm just saying for the for the listeners at home, Alice is my daughter and she's three. And I'm scared of a lot of things. <laughs> I have problems with anxiety that I won't get into, but I have problems. And it helps to have a little person with you that you need to take care of. So, you know, I just, that helps me in some ways, kind of like you said, I fight anxiety with anxiety by being more anxious about not doing the thing. Uh-huh. So it's like, if I don't do this, it's going to be re- way worse. So I just need to do it. So I just get myself to do it, you know. But in other ways, it's it can just be really comforting to have her there too. Like, for example, it was kind of scary when we moved to a new town to go to a new church, just because there's a lot of people there and I didn't know any of them. And I didn't know what they would think of me. I kind of wa- I wanted them to come up and talk to me, but I also kind of didn't. <laughs> you know, it's just there are a lot of things going on in my mind. But it was really calming to have Alice there because I knew I could just put more of my attention on her and make sure she was all right and that people she's a really good conversation starter and she's very a very good communicator for her age. So she kind of starts conversations on her own too. And once the conversation is started, it's easier to keep it going. So that really helped me, I think, to have her. I had another question that I thought of at the beginning of the movie. So Dagmar, the the psychiatrist, says that Lars is having this delusion that Bianca is real because he has something that he's working through. So my question is, what was he trying to work through or communicate by having Bianca there. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, what do you think? I'm not entirely sure. Um, I know he was very scared about um, Karen's pregnancy because his mom died when she was in childbirth. And so he thought the same thing might happen to Karen. And it sounds like he started having a harder time mentally when he found out that Karen was pregnant. So I think that that was part of it to try to work through all of that. But he already felt isolated from people anyway and didn't know how to express himself. So it was kind of a way to communicate, I suppose, and maybe make connections with people because Bianca wasn't him. So he could kind of, if anything went wrong, he could blame it on her. but then that it would hopefully he could make connections with people enough that he could talk about what he was really scared of. What do you think? I think there's a bunch of different things. I think a lot of Lars' trauma comes from the death of his mother. Mm. And um, one of the things he struggles with is he doesn't like to be touched. Mm. And obviously he says it burns. Now this is, this is the reason that this movie means so much to me is because I have that and I didn't know what it was. I, I don't have it as much now, like knowing what it is really helped me, but I, I have always not felt super great with people touching me, especially members of the opposite sex. For some reason that just made me feel uncomfortable. Like I remember very specifically there was this time where this guy I really liked gave me a hug and our cheeks kind of brushed and like it burned for 20 minutes afterwards. 
And that's, that's what Lars says. I, I had never, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know, I didn't have the words to talk about it until I saw this movie. And when Lars was like, I don't like people touching me, it hurts. It's like a burn. I went, that's, that's exactly how I feel. And this is a thing. So I actually researched it and it's, it's, it is a real thing especially for people who have had trauma around their birth. Now, I didn't have a super traumatic birth, but I was taken away from my parents fairly early because the doctors thought that something might be wrong with me. So they put me in ICU for a couple days. So it was very short and nothing was wrong with me. They were just being very careful. But that could be why... I had this thing and mm-hmm. for sure Lars had a very traumatic birth because his mother died. And so I think part of, you know, when, when the doctor asked him, you don't let anybody touch you. And he goes, yeah, it hurts for everyone. Well, not really with Bianca. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if just something about, you get the idea he really does want to have a relationship, but there's all these things getting in the way of he's really shy and he doesn't like to be touched and he doesn't know how to interact with people. So yeah, buying a doll is a, it's that solves, that seems to solve all the problems. That reminds me of, in my opinion, the funniest part of the movie um, is for at the beginning Lars is at church and he's helping this woman carry flowers out of the uh, church because she needs to take them to the hospital. And she's talking to him saying, you know, you need to get out there and meet someone. Um, You know, you really should have a girlfriend and he doesn't want to do that, but she gives him a flower so he can give it to a nice girl. And she's, he's, she says, yeah, make sure to find someone nice to give it to. And then Margot walks up and Lars <laughs> just chucks the flower. <laughs> and then they have a very, very brief, awkward uh, conversation and he runs away. <laughs> I love that part. I love how dramatic he, he flings this flower as far away from him as possible. <laughs> uh. I started laughing at that part and Alice was doing something else, but she came over to me and said, what are you laughing at? <laughs> I couldn't. Have- <laughs> it <wasn't- laughs> Sorry. It's not a three-year-old joke. <laughs> yeah. I guess in wrapping up, I'd like to talk about Margot. This movie is so interesting because it, it takes some of that interesting, awkward dialogue and situation that Joel Haver does really well in Pretend You Love Me, but it it marries it with traditional filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I just love about the completely movie aspect of Lars and the Real Girl is the use of color, and specifically mm-hmm. the use of the color pink, because that flower is pink, and because Lars doesn't like to be touched and it's winter, he wears all these layers. And what's just fascinating to me is there's when Bianca is dying and the ladies are coming over and sitting, there's one morning he wakes up to hear the doorbell and he goes outside and he sees that people have just left flowers and presents all over his front doorstep. And you can just tell that that really affected him and because he woke up and it's starting to be spring, he's only wearing one layer and it's pink. And mm-hmm. this entire time as a side character, there is this girl, Margot. And from the very beginning, she always wears something pink. I didn't notice that at all. That's such a cool uh, theme to have throughout the movie. It really is. I really like it and it's it's to me it's just cheesy enough and movie magic enough to be meaningful and sweet but subtle enough to not really get in the way of the story. Yeah. 
I liked what you said about seeing something in this movie about how Lars didn't like to be touched and realizing that that's a thing and that it's okay to feel that way. Because um, I, I just think it's really nice when you can watch a movie or a YouTube channel or anything that um, shows you that there are other people that feel the same way that you do. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's really nice because it makes you feel like you're not alone in the way that you feel and that it's okay. And if it's causing difficulty in life, that there are things that you can do to like get through it. If I can have another recommendation, um, there's a YouTube channel called Special Books by Special Kids. And it's this man and his wife who interview primarily children, but there are some adults on there um, with different, I suppose, some of them have disabilities. Some of them have um, different genetic traits that are different than really anyone else in the world. Um, Some people have mental health issues. And it's really nice. I I try not to watch too many of them because sometimes it makes me feel more anxious. (laughs) Like, oh no, what if I have all these different things? (laughs) Um, But some of them are really nice because it, you know, helps if you can see that there's someone that's like you, or you can see someone who's different than anyone you've seen before, and that that's just really special. And they're treated with such dignity and respect and they're able to tell their story their own way so I recommend that YouTube channel especially if you have some sort of health issue that you don't know anyone else that has the same issue as you you might be able to find it on that channel and see that you're not alone that's a great recommendation and you're right like I think Lars and the Real Girl is was a very validating movie for myself with that physical thing but also just loneliness and how difficult it is to have relationships it's a very special movie yeah i really like it and i recommend it thank you so much for listening to the patchwork girl and friends i hope you enjoy the artwork i make for each and every episode which you can see on social media like instagram and facebook You can support the podcast on Patreon, and don't forget to send me a random quote using the Anchor app. Next time on The Patchwork Girl and Friends. Hi, I'm Jules, and Kendra and I are going to be talking about the movie Cruella.